It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. It is time for Dr. History, and he showed up with his entourage. He gets catered now, you know, with all kinds of amenities. They take him in a specially uh, built limousine and everything, and they just drove up in the front yard and dropped him off. And our thanks go out to our sponsor, which, of course, is Minicash Sales. 1321 East Main Street in Burley with Zach and the rest of the crew, 878-2091, right across from the Burley Airport. Good morning, Dr. History. Good morning. That's a cowboy limousine, you know. Yeah, they give you a ride in the back of the pickup. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And say, hang on. There you go. Yep. You know, last week we talked a little bit about Jim Bridger. And we were talking about the movie The Revenant, etc. And the toughness of these mountain men. They had to be their own doctor. They had to be their own uh, nursemaid when they were sick. They had to do it all, didn't they? They did. You know, they were uh, definitely a breed apart. And... uh, you know, we talked about uh, Hugh Glass, of course, which is what the movie's about. Right, and uh, right. if people want to hear that story on our show, they can go back to April 29th of 2014. And there's also, we did a sh- another one about Br- uh, Bridger on uh, June 10th of 2014. Okay, you looked those up. So Yeah, so there's two shows back in 2014 that talk about this. But uh, I did find out since last week that uh, Hugh Glass... Of course, he never was able to kill Bridger or uh, Fitzgerald, but he actually continued trapping and actually came right up in our area, right along here in the Snake River. Really? As a trapper and a mountain man, went right on up the Snake and actually was over on the Yellowstone River with two other guys when they were attacked by about 30 Arikara Indians and killed. So that no was kidding. that was where Hugh Glass was killed. So he lived through the bear attack, right. and he lived through the uh, the absolute leaving of his partners left him for dead, Right, and then he gets killed later by the Indians. Yeah. Yep. Wow. But he did catch up with the guys he wanted to revenge against, but uh, didn't, yeah. really. So. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to talk again about Jim Bridger, but uh, he's kind of a uh, secondary character in this story, so to speak. Okay. We're going to talk about a guy by the name of Joseph Meek. M-E-E-K. Yes. All and right. You may have heard of him, but, you know, trapping was not a business which uh, could be carried on profitably by large parties of men. Uh, though the main camp might contain many camp keepers, Indian women, children, packers, horse guy, guards, the men who harvested the fur had to operate in small groups or alone. And unfortunately, that's why some of them were never heard of again, too. Uh, When Jim Bridger's brigade moved over from the headwaters of the Snake River to Yellowstone Country, Joseph L. Meek went on far ahead alone. All by himself. By himself. Uh, 
Wow. Okay. On the fifth day out from camp, a large war party of crows caught up with him. They were on the prairie, and Meek was forced to skip to the creek bottom and riding his mule for all he was worth trying to get away. Uh, of course, uh, it was swarming with these Indians. They were hard on his trail, yelling and shooting uh, a random shot now and then uh, as they closed in on him. Now, unfortunately, the beaver had drained the water out of the creek and made dams, and Meek's mule mired down in the swamp. Uh-oh. And you, you've seen horses or mules. When they get in mud, yeah. you know, they're just pretty much... There's uh, trouble in there River is. City. There is. So, by the time the Indians were close, uh, he was ready for them. And he brought old Sally, as he called his rifle, up to his face, ready to fire his last shot. And as he puts it, I knew it were death this time unless Providence interfered to save me. And I didn't think Providence would do it. (laughs) So he kind of figured this was his last hurrah. Now, right there I want to ask you, we talked about this in the past, and I don't mean to interrupt, but we're talking about the old cap and ball rifles. One shot. One shot, and then reload. Yeah. And it's not like the guys on the other side of the rifle are going to say, oh, wait a minute, he's reloading. (laughs) That's right. Hold up. So, but... In this case, the Crow Chief was in the lead, Uh and when he found himself looking down the muzzle of Meek's gun, he slowed up and yelled to him. He says, lay down your gun, and you will live. Now, Meek's state of mind was kind of easily understood, and here's what he said. Well, I like to live. (laughs) Being then in the prime of life, and though it hurt me powerful, I resolved to part with Sally. Now, he took a big risk in the thought and belief that when a chief talks to you, A, was it really the chief? B, is he a man of his word? exactly. Well, he says, I laid her down. As I did so, the chief picked her up, and one of the braves sprang at me with a spear. Uh Uh-oh. And would have run me through, but the chief knocked him down with the butt of my gun. Really? So, that's a good thing. So, so far, so good. Okay, they led Meek out to the high prairie south of the stream. Uh, There they all halted and turned him over to three Indian women uh, while the warriors sat down in a circle to smoke and decide his fate. You never did tell me if he got the mule out of the mud. (laughs) I think he did. (laughs) They wouldn't leave him. So Meek, however, never lost his nerve, and while they debated, he coolly counted them. There were 187 warriors, nine boys, and three Indian women guarding him. And a partridge in a pear tree. Yeah. That, so, the, you know, this wasn't a small party. Uh-uh. So they talked for what seemed... Uh, and he's the only white guy there, yeah, right? Yeah. For about three hours. He just sat while they were debating what to do with him. It's probably a good thing he did. Yeah. Yeah. So then the head chief, his name was uh, The Bold. Now, the Bold. The Bold. Uh-huh. He summoned Meek into the ring. He said... I have known the whites for a long time, and I know them to be great liars, Uh deserving of death. Uh Uh-oh. But, he says, if you will tell the truth, you will live. Okay, now here's where it gets interesting. Ask me anything you want to know. <laughs> In fact, this might be a good time for a break, Zeb. I think it is. We'll leave them hanging like those okay. Saturday morning cereals. Minicasha Sales, 1321 East Main Street in Burley, right across from the airport. They've got all your lumber. Zach said, listen, a lot of you folks got together during Christmas and New Year's and said, well, gee, maybe come spring we'll do this, that, and the other to remodel. Well, Minicasha Sales has everything you need, along with all the best of Western windows. 
shows, too. Hey, stop in. You'll see what I mean. They have your carpet, your vinyl, your lumber packages. They've also got all the Tartar Farm and Ranch gates and panels, everything at Minicasha Sales. 1321 East Main Street in Burley, right across from the airport. Number to call, 878-2091. Minicasha Sales, bringing you Dr. History. And now, back to the powwow. All right. So here we have Meek sitting there amongst the Indians and uh, the chief saying that he thinks most whites are liars. So here's what Meek thought to himself. He thought, they will fetch the truth out of me if there, uh, if there is any in me. Uh-huh. That's how he worded That's it, That's the way right? he worded it. Yeah. So the chief went on. He said, tell me where are the whites you belong to and what's your captain's name? Well, Meek looked the chief in the eye and said proudly, Bridger is my captain's name, or in the crow tongue, Kasapi. Let's stick with Bridger. Also known as the Blanket Chief. <laughs> okay. Did you know that? Bridger is called the Blanket Chief. No, and I'm no. not going to ask I don't any know questions why. either. Okay. So that gave the Crow Chief something to think about. I see. He, he thought for quite a while, then he demanded, how many men has he? Now, Meek knew that Bridger's company contained some 240 men, enough to lick the hind sides of the Crow War Party. But he also knew that if he told the truth as to their numbers, the Crows would hightail it out of there, take him with him, or kill him. His chances of seeing Bridger again would be pretty slim. Uh So, here's where we get tricky. Oh, boy. On the other hand, if he lied to the Indians and so encouraged them to go looking for Bridger's camp, it was certain the Crows would want to kill him when they found out he had lied to them. Now, isn't this a danged if you do and danged yeah, if you it, don't? Yeah, it is. It is. But Meek was one of the bravest of the mountain men, and he said 40. 40 men. Uh, he as opposed to 240. Yeah, yeah. So he left it about 200 short. So the crow, oh, what's a couple Yeah, hundred? what's a couple hundred mountain men with guns and knives? So the crows relaxed. The chief laughed. He says, we will make them poor, said he, and you shall live, but they shall die. Uh-oh. Now, Meek thought... Hardly, but he kept a poker face and said nothing. Well, when the chief asked him where he expected to rejoin Bridger's camp, Meek gave him an honest answer and told him how many days before Bridger would reach the appointed place. Now, Meek wanted the crows to find that camp. Okay, so here we go. The Indians began to hustle around, packing up for the march to meet Bridger. Two of them mounted Meek's mule, so obviously they got him out of the mud. Out of the mud. Out of the mud. The women loaded him down with packs of moccasins stuffed with dried meat. Now, this I thought was interesting. A war party always carried its pemmican packed in new moccasins to save weight. Pemmican. Pemmican. Yeah. I, I didn't realize that. Packed in what? In their moccasins, in new moccasins. Oh, man. They would, I hope the guy didn't have athlete's foot. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, because what would happen is they would, uh, as fast as the ration was consumed, the pemmican, the new ma- moccasins were needed to replace the worn out mocca- well, moccasins. duh. <laughs> so, anyway, an interesting side note there. But anyway, the scouts preceded the party. Seventy warriors formed the advance guard. Meek marched with the women and boys in the middle, and the rest of the warriors followed. Now, to amuse themselves, the Indian women prodded Meek with sticks to keep him moving, saying over and over again with much laughter, white men very poor now. I so see. you can see them just kind of poking him and yeah. prodding him along. But Meek was glad there were only three women along to keep poking him. 
So there was only three of them. But anyway, they traveled till late that night, then camped. The Indians slept in a circle with Meek in the center. He did not sleep very well. Well, I don't know why. Now, can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. So all the next day, they marched in the same manner, Meek keeping his temper with difficulty and saying nothing. That evening, they put him to cooking over the party and again on the third and fourth days. So he actually cooked for them. Really? A little bit. So, You'd think they wouldn't trust him. Uh, yeah. But uh, anyway, on the last day, Meek was feeling pretty bad. Bridger was bound to show up soon. And if anything went wrong, he knew the crows would rub him out. Yeah. In um, other words, that's it. That's it. On that last day, the Indian scouts left their horses on the slope of a ridge ahead and crept up to peer over. Uh-oh. Right away, one of them come running back, mounted his horse, and rode rapidly in a big circle to indicate a big party of enemies over the ridge. This so is now, where this is where old Meek is in trouble. He, he's kind of getting in trouble. So Meek could only trust uh, uh, to luck. He understood the signals of the scouts perfectly. Now the time had come. They all rode to the top of the hill overlooking the Yellowstone River and the vast plains beyond. And about three miles away, Meek recognized Bridger's big camp with hundreds of horses grazing around. Then Meek saw Bridger's, Bridger's horse guard uh, make the signal that indicated uh, that they had discovered the Indians. It was a showdown. So the, the horse guard evidently was like a, a bunch of men out in front riding ahead. Of Bridger. Yes. Okay. So here's what Meek Kinda said. Kind of like your forward scouts. Yes, yes. That's a good way to put it. So Meek said, I thought the camp a splendid sight that evening. It made a powerful show to me who did not expect ever to see it after that day, and it were a fine sight anyway from the hill where I stood. Yeah, but wait a minute. He's got to get there first. Right. About 250 men and women and children in great numbers and about a 1,000 horses and mules. Then the beautiful plain and the sinking sun and the herds of buffalo that could not be numbered and the cedar hills covered with elk. elk. I never saw so fine a sight as all that looked to me then. Mm-hmm. Well, when he turned his eyes on the savage crow band and saw the chief standing, amazed with his hand over his open mouth, saw the warrior's tomahawks and spears glittering in the sunlight. What did he do? His heart shrunk uh. <laughs> up to about half its right size. Uh. He knew he was found out. Yeah, he was done. The chief turned on him with a terrible scowl. He said, I promised that you should live if you told the truth, but you have told me a great lie. Oh, boy. It sounds like his uh, TV series is going to get canceled. <laughs> Not so good. Uh. Well, all the warriors gathered around uh, with their weapons in hand, but Meek knew better than to show any weakness. He kept his eyes fixed on Bridger's horse guard, who was riding up the hill to drive in the horses. Now, this movement distracted the chief and his warriors, and when the horse guard had come to within about 200 yards of the crows, the chief ordered Meek to yell to him to come to them. Okay, now Meek stepped forward and yelled as loud as he could, Keep off or you'll be killed. Tell old Gabe, which is Bridger, to try to talk with these Indians and help me get away. Well, by that time, the horse guard was between the crows and Bridger's horses, and he headed them back to camp on a dead run. Now, Jim Bridger got the word that his old companion, Joe Meek, was captive and in danger of death. He wasted no time. After a few questions, he called his leaders together, gave instructions. Now, that's going to be important here in a minute. Okay. Caught up his rifle, mounted his big white horse. Then Jim rode out alone until he was within about 300 yards of the Indians. There he reined up, scanning the line of Indians on the ridge. His eyes caught a familiar figure, and he yelled out, What tribe are they, Meek? He shouted, and Meek's yell came back, Crows. Then Bridger knew how to go ahead. And I mentioned last week, Bridger knew a lot of the languages of a yeah, lot of the Indian yeah, tribes. he was pretty knowledgeable. Yeah. He shouted, tell me, 
tell the big chief to send one of his little chiefs to smoke with me. Big chief, little chief. Yes. Jim saw Meek turn to the bold, the big chief, to translate the message. After a little thought, the crow chief beckoned to Little Gun. Little Gun. To go forward and smoke with the blanket chief. Okay, so are we Bring straight? Bring your can of Prince Albert. <laughs> That's right. So here's Little Gun and Bridger. So meanwhile, Jim, scanning the line of Indians on the ridge, could see all the warriors openly preparing for a fight, shaking out their war bonnets and one thing another, and painting their faces, straightening oh, their best arrows, loading their guns. Oh, no. You're okay. Now, this is the part that gets... Uh, I like the whole thing. But anyway, Jim saw Little Gun coming and dismounted. Now, Jim knew the crow rules of warfare. He began to strip off his clothing. He threw down. Why is it that every time something gets serious, they start going I, naked? I don't know. He threw down his hat, pulled off his long-tailed hunting coat, shed his shirt, kicked off his buckskin leggings until he stood in nothing but moccasins and a breechcloth. So he wasn't totally okay. Little gun also halted and undressed, laying his weapons ready on top of his buckskins. Huh. Then both men, holding their open palms, walked toward each other with nothing. Much on. It sounds like San Francisco. <laughs> so, the, Well, the reason they did this is so they could see nobody was carrying a weapon. Oh. All right. Now, Little Gun came on. Jim saw that he was a big, ugly fellow with long hair hanging to his heels with a stiff pompadour smeared with red paint standing high over his painted forehead. Little Gun was strutting. He felt sure that Jim had no heart to attack him, for then Meek would be gone forever. Well, when the two men met, they lowered their arms to hug and kiss each other. What? According to custom. I was kidding about San Francisco. <laughs> but as they embraced, Bridger took care to stand so that Little Gun's back was turned toward a gully, which cut through the ridge a little to one side. Now, this is going to be important in a minute. I'm listening. Okay. Now, that cr- here's, what, here's what Bridger said. That crow wore greasy and sweaty and smeared with paint. But Jim kept on hugging him and kissing his ugly face all the time, looking anxiously over the Indian's shoulders, keeping his eyes glued to that gully. It seemed to Jim that he would have to hug that lousy Indian all day before he caught sight of his five armed trappers, who suddenly showed themselves at the end of the gully with an easy rifle shot. Little gun was cut off and held prisoner. Bridger did not need to hug him any longer. Thank goodness. (laughs) Well, he turned the Indian loose and quickly stepped back. The tricked crows on the ridge uh, began to mount their horses and line up for a charge on the five trappers to recover their naked chief. Little Gun heard the yelling, looked around, and saw how he was trapped. And before Little Gun or his friends could do anything, 100 mountain men popped out of this gully. A hundred. A hundred. And came trotting towards Bridger, forming a line to repel the charge. Well, And and they were fully clothed. They were, indeed. Bridger yelled to to Meek. He said, tell the chief to send you to me, and I will let Little Gun go. Okay. So Jim saw Meek, turned to the chief, and the crow said, I cannot afford to give a chief one white man, uh, but he said, uh, okay, we'll do this. So when Meek had safely crossed Little Gun's clothes and weapons, Jim gave the crow the signal to be on his way. There you so go. they traded prisoners. Yep. So that evening, the crow chief with 40 of his warriors came peacefully into Bridger's camp to make a truce, and the chief explained that the crows had been formerly at war with white men, but now he said, we want to be friends with your camp so that we can all fight together against the Blackfeet. They all sang Kumbaya. Yeah. And who are everybody's enemies, the Blackfeet. So yeah. to make the truce firm, the Crows brought in Meek's mule, his gun, Sally, and all his stuff. 
Really? Yeah. He got the mule back. He got back. everything back. I'll be done. So old Gabe Bridger and his mountain men sat in a ring with the crows and gravely smoked the pipe in a temporary peace. But before the crows left Jim's camp, their chief walked up to Meek and said, Today I give you a new name. Shiam Shaspusia. I'm sure glad you said that. <laughs> For you can outlie the crows. Really? <laughs> so he gave him the name, meaning you are a better liar. So when you say to somebody Shampusian, that's, that's not really good. That's not a good thing. Okay. So that's the story of, of Meek and Bridger. And this, uh, by this time, Bridger was about 30 years old. Yeah, so always be careful when you're up in the South Hills and you see two guys running along naked. <laughs> and watch who you're kissing <laughs> and hugging. <laughs> oh, that one kind of made me uh, a little... Uh, I'm glad you've uh, had that story and not me. <laughs> oh, oh Doctor, you did. did it again. You know, really, you did it again. That's another very interesting story. So they were peaceful with the crows, but they thought the Blackfeet were the bad guys. Right, and... And, you know, and as often went on, you know, they would have treaties. They would, and some of the guys, some of the Indian agents were very good to the Indians yeah. uh, on the reservations. Others were absolutely terrible to the Indians. I mean, it was just a give and take all through that time, yeah. you know. And you can't blame the Indians for uh, all the lies and the treaties that were broken. No, not at you all. Know? So. Uh, one thing you might want to look up, and I'm, I'm not going to say it on the air because I'm not sure about it being truthful, but the way that the Indians processed and made the pemmican is very interesting. It is. And it's not very tasteful, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had it, but, but I, yeah. I, no, I, the way they made it. Oh, the way they yeah, made it, yeah. You might want to check that out. Okay. Okay. Doctor History again, brought to you by Minicasha Sales, 1321 East Main Street in Burley, right across from the airport, 878-2091. Zach and the whole crew bringing you my buddy, Doctor History. Thank you very much. You have a good day, Zeb. God bless you, and we'll see you next week. Yes. All right, buddy. Thanks much. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.